cybersecurity and cyber attacks have been one of the hottest topics for both consumers and corporations in recent years. On average, a cyber attack happens every 39 seconds and costs the United States economy $3.5 billion each year. Today, we are joined with Zach Grant, VP of Enterprise Solutions and security expert at Metal, to learn more about cybersecurity and a new breed of tools available to help combat this constant threat. Welcome, Zach. Welcome. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. In full disclosure, we have spoken a little bit about what you do before, and we just found it incredibly interesting. So we're excited to talk to you today again on this podcast. Excellent. Yeah, I I, I look forward to it, and and I will talk about this as many times as I need to. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I have to just start by saying I still get a kick out of the first trip we took together, Zach, because I learned something about you that I didn't expect. I remember us driving in a rental car from one state to another, trying to make a dinner meeting in Columbus, Ohio. And I looked over and saw the speedometer somewhere around 105. Uh, You must have noticed me clinching the bar because you turned your head and said, don't worry, I'm an ex-New Mexico state trooper. Now, that's (laughs) not something you hear every single day. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I kind of uh, got my start with the uh, criminal, you know, investigations as a uh, as a police officer, and that evolved into uh, cybersecurity investigations. Wow, one hundred five. I mean, what were you guys doing? Were you late? Wherever you go, I think we wanted no, I, to see if the rental car could break a hundred, right? Yeah, we, we like to check to see what the uh, the governor is on uh, on those rental cars. <laughs> ah, okay, so can you tell us a little bit more about your law enforcement background? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it it, it didn't start out um, focusing on uh, you know the digital world. I just always had an interest in law enforcement. Grew up, you know, watching a lot of the the seventies and eighties cop shows, and it was really just kind of an intriguing field. And so, my passion growing up, I, I never thought I would be doing uh, what I do now. I, I thought I would just be a police officer my entire life. And then, you know, in um, the mid nineties, we really started to see an evolution in, in technology. And that's when I realized I had a, I had a talent for technology. And so uh, my, my career path just kind of, kind of changed. Uh, and I realized that uh, I could do a little bit of both. Um, and that's, that's kind of what led me to, to digital in investigations early on in my career before where I landed now. Hmm, that's very cool. A term we hear a lot about in cybersecurity is sassy. And when I first hearing this, I was teasing Max that I thought he was referring to my attitude. But now I'm better educated. Well, you may have been sassy in the past, but this time I was referring to the industry. But really, sassy stands for Secure Access Service Edge. Can you explain in its most basic form what is sassy? Absolutely. Um, you know, SASE is more of a strategy than a product. So, you know, through marketing, some folks get a little bit confused uh, about what SASE exactly is. And that's because every vendor has a little bit of a different take on it. But what SASE is, is, is really Gartner um, coined the phrase and they really started this strategy in motion. I just want to interject there for a minute and mention that Gartner is an IT research and consultancy company. Really what it is, the the technology, some of the 
um, the different techniques that are used, they've been around for 15, 20, and some of them 30 years. Um, so it's not necessarily new technology. What it is, is it's a focus to take all these different security uh, requirements and ways of doing everything and really combining it together to make sure that your security landscape is uh, covering all aspects for total security. Now, with that said, where it differentiates is really most security you know, methodologies over the years have been centralized, meaning large corporations really have to take all of their data and all of their traffic and bring it to a centralized point so it can be reviewed and secured and go through their security stack. And what SASE brings is more of a distribution of that security stack out to the edge, out to the branches. So if you're running a retail store or a quick serve, that traffic's no longer going back to a centralized point, which can take time, latency. It gives uh, more chance of errors and uh, you know more chance for failure. So they're pushing that security stack out to the edge, allowing for faster, better communications uh, and and orchestrated or managed centrally. So the processing happens out at the edge, but the orchestration and the brains are still centralized. That really is, is the heart of, of SASE. Through that, even though this is a Gartner coined term, the, the security vendors and appliance uh, manufacturers are adopting that model and it's, it's growing to be very successful, but each vendor has a little bit of a different flavor. You know, they, they want to take, they want to get ahead in the, in the industry or the market or separate themselves. So we're seeing some really cool things with Sassy. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, and Max, I know, you know, you do a lot with mobility and I think a lot of those strategies are, are being taken for mobility, but you know, when you log in in the morning to your computer, your work computer, you log in and if you walk away from it, somebody can come and type a nasty email. We have pranksters in offices that do that all the time. No, that would never happen. <laughs> never <laughs> happen. Right. So you were always told in your training, lock your keyboard. Well, really what's happening with SASE, a lot of these um, vendors and, and platform providers are doing things like with every device having cameras now, if I'm sitting at my computer and I stand up and walk away and Max comes and sits down on my computer, it authenticates him wow. based on his facial recognition and he gets Max's permission. So he didn't, he didn't have to log in. I didn't have to log out. It adapts wow. continually and authenticates continually. So really neat things to help close the gap where we yeah. see user training. Uh, I like you, you, that. You know, it's yeah. like, yeah, I think of it as like facial recognition on your mobile phone to unlock your phone, except in this case, it's like a shared phone. So whoever's staring at the phone, it authenticates for that specific person. That's right. And it's ongoing. It happens continuously. So it's no longer just on login. And that prevents, you know, if devices are stolen or somebody comes and sits down in a very short period to access files, they're not supposed to, um, things of that nature to really help solidify this, this security vision. So I'm curious on your opinion, Zach, why are we seeing so much growth right now and traction with SASE. It's not like this is the first time in history, like you said, this has been going on for a long time where companies are worried about, you know, somebody sitting down at your computer or sitting down, you know, it's some, some edge device that can gain access to the corporate network. Yeah. You know, for me, I, I think the driver behind it is year over year, 
you know, that number that you talked about earlier, uh, you know, the $3.5 billion, it, it wasn't that amount 10 years ago, right? So if you look at it from that perspective, we're failing. Year over year, the crimes and the theft that happened in the in the digital environments continue to to double and in some cases quadruple. So really, it's it's the industry failing at security, and of course, the growth of technology and how much we depend on technology it, that's that's really driving this need for us to solidify what we're doing and the techniques and how we're doing it. Hmm. Yeah. So the money is driving the demand. <laughs> no, 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 no doubt. No doubt. And of course, our dependency uh, on, on technology now, if we if we think about where we're at compared to even just five years ago, it, it's amazing how we're leveraging technology now. Oh, I have a fun fact. <laughs> oh, I love a fun fact. Loves fun facts. Gardner experts say that by 2025, at least 80 percent of enterprises will have strategies to adapt SASE. I think that's pretty interesting. That's a big number. I guess, again, it goes back to the dollars, right? Yeah. So how does having SASE benefit everyday employees or consumers? That's a great question. And really, um, I look at it as, you know, from the stance of a consumer. You know, when you have a lot of theft, let's say shoplifting uh, in your local markets, the, the, the local stores have to compensate for that by rising the price of, you know, uh, everyday you know, purchases from the other consumers. And so if you think about it through that lens, that's really how it impacts us. Somebody has to pay for that $3.5 billion in losses that we're going to see here in the U.S. And for, for me, we, we pay a lot for gas today. We pay a lot for what we consume. And seeing that price continue to go up because of fraud, because of identity theft, that, that's really how it's going to impact all of us. And then, of course, the, the personal identity uh, on, on top of that. You know, we all have a lot of sensitive data out there in the digital world. And for, for you and I, you know, somebody can, can take your identity and, and rack up, you know, millions of dollars and really create hassles and legal. And we've seen home thefts and a lot of different, um, you know, activities that really impact consumers and, and everyday users, whether they're in technology or not. So uh, for me, it's very personal and it should be personal to, to everybody, not just folks that are in IT. I remember you shared a, a story with me once, something about a title company when you were buying a new house. Yeah, you know, as, as, a, as a security expert, right, we, it's expected that no one could ever compromise a security expert. And that's, that's just not, not true. And I did about uh, two years ago, um, I, I moved, I sold a house and I was buying a ranch in Colorado. And so I took the funds from um, the, the home that I sold in, in Utah and I received instructions from my title company and they were very explicit. And they said, when, when you transfer money to us, you need to get on the phone with us and because we're going to verify everything, right? So it was a very comforting experience. Well, it turns out that that title company's network had been compromised. Mm. Somebody had taken over their email servers and their storage servers. So what they did was they actually changed the um, account numbers on the transfer instructions. So even the employees wow. at the title company didn't recognize this. And so when I called them and I followed their instructions, I wired a very large amount of money, over $300,000 oh, no. to a fraudulent account. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awful. <laughs> yeah. Now, luckily, I, I was able to recover the, the funds, but I believe, if I remember correctly, 28 people were impacted uh, by that 
particular breach and only three of us recovered our funds. Wow. Wow. And do you, I mean, obviously, like you said, you're in the field, you able to recognize things that just didn't seem right or feel right? I did. Um, you know, it was, it was just because um, of some of the, the verbiage, you know, when I was discussing with the title company, they, they were talking, they kept saying, you know, as soon as we get your funds and I was like, Hey, you know, I, I sent you my funds three days ago. Uh, and they're like, no, let us go double check. And I just started getting more and more uncomfortable. Um, and what's even more incredible, uh, and I don't know if I shared this uh, with you on, on when I told you the story previously, but um, this is how sophisticated this, this group was, is because I was on the phone with my uh, with a title person, I wanted to contact their manager who I had, I had been working with previously. So I ended up sending them an email telling them, hey, I don't feel comfortable. Something is not right. Um, I need you to, to get a hold of me. And so I just sent that email. And about 15 minutes later, I received a call from my bank. And uh, the, the bank had told me, hey, don't worry. Your funds are fine. There was oh, a little wow. bit of fraud, but we scared. It wasn't my bank. They spoofed my bank's phone number after oh my getting, seeing my email to the title company. And the only reason I knew it wasn't my bank was because I used to work for that bank. And it's a small oh. community uh, center. And so I asked the guy some questions that he didn't know. Wow. That is very sophisticated. That, that is quite. Is like, this is yeah. like the movie. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, wow. and you know what? I, I didn't necessarily want to share that story immediately because as a, as a, you know, cyber expert, cybersecurity expert, you, you know, you feel embarrassed, but reflecting back, there's nothing I could have done. It really means that, Hey, if this industry would have, is, is going to adapt sassy, uh, you know, in the future, I'm going to feel more secure. Uh, but, you know, two years ago, SASE really, really didn't exist. So as we move forward, um, you know, hopefully we can all get the comfort that these strategies will help close that gap and provide better security for all of us. Yeah. I mean, it just also everyone is vulnerable. You know, we're all just for sure humans, you know, yeah. regardless of what your expertise are. Another term we keep hearing about is zero trust. What is the difference between SASE and zero trust? Well, earlier I mentioned that SASE was nothing more than a strategy to bring together a lot of different pillars of, of security strategies. And so zero trust is one of those, those pillars. Zero trust is, is the name and that's, that is the strategy, meaning trust nothing, authenticate to get to everything. But the way I like to explain it to folks is for many years in security, we used blacklist, meaning you cannot go here. You cannot go here because they're malicious websites. And what's happened is it's been a little bit of a flip that there's so much malicious traffic out there. There's so many scams that it's now easier for us to say, let's whitelist this. Let's look at what we can get to and let's Let's go ahead and approve what is allowed because that's much easier than trying to keep up with, you know, all the different uh, tricks that are coming up every day. And so um, zero trust is exactly that kind of stop letting folks go to everywhere and just trying to stop the, the malicious. Let's go ahead and block everything and then allow what we know is authenticated and, and secure. So, so we're assuming basically that everything is evil. Yes. <laughs> Except the, the, uh, the, whatever the servers or websites that were whitelisting, everything else is basically, you know, guilty until proven innocent. That's right. That's right. And, <laughs> and, you know, it, it, um, it, uh, it might sound, uh, you know, as an easy concept, it, it's not, it's not easy. You know, I, I get an opportunity to talk with a lot of young folk. Um, and for me, I, 
if you have children, if you have, you know, folks that don't know what industry they want to get into, cybersecurity is really promising looking forward because to administer this, to really maintain SASE and maintain zero trust, you know, it, it, it's going to take uh, a lot of professionals. And I think it's going to spawn a lot of other industries or a lot of other positions uh, for folks. So it's, it, it really is a, uh, an up and coming um, horizon. We got to get our kids into we gotta focus. We're going to get everyone focused after this. Yeah. Yeah. The career path. Yeah. <laughs> would you, would you say Zach, besides securing assets with zero trust, are there any other benefits to the technology? You know, there, there, there really is. I think, you know, we're seeing, um, you know, a, a lot of, of different emerging uh, technologies that that we can start to leverage because now we do have that security. And so I think a lot of folks were hesitant to move forward to using more of a, a, a digital world. I think we're seeing that with the metaverse. And I think as that, as people become more comfortable and we see less and less um, vulnerabilities and threats, I think our confidence level is going to move forward. And I think we'll, we'll see a lot more benefits to, to SASE um, and, and zero trust, but keep in mind that SASE and zero trust, those pillars that I keep talking about included in those pillars are going to be technologies like SD-WAN. Not all companies have adopted SD-WAN and what SD-WAN does is really makes your experience uh, through the digital world better because it auto fixes a lot of problems with the network, whether it's latency or jitter or packet loss. Um, you know, so for me, not only is SASE bringing more security, it's bringing a better experience, faster home internet, uh, faster business internet. Uh, we can get more done. Oh. So can SASE be installed and used on regular residential networks? Like for example, someone's home, like Max has built this, Wi-Fi mesh network. <laughs> and I just wondered if that was something that's possible. You know, I, I, it's absolutely possible. Now, where the market's at right now, we're not seeing um, SASE in some of the consumer grade um, edges and products that you can pick off the shelves, but I don't think it's far behind. Uh, and the reason I say that is just when we look at, at, at Wi-Fi, when we look at the, the previous technologies, that were once independent, manufacturers then adopted that and, and tried to combine that. So I don't know of anybody that doesn't have a, a home cable broadband circuit that doesn't have built-in Wi-Fi. So I think at some point we are going to start seeing SASE in a lot of those uh, home networks and, and appliances. And the reason I say that is it doesn't just benefit you as the consumer, it benefits the provider because it keeps the malicious traffic off the network. So even though you know, in the past, firewalls would stop malicious traffic, right? So it wouldn't get into your, your, your home network. It still used your bandwidth, right? You were still using your resources. And so for me, I think as the, as the providers adapt SASE and their networks, it's going to stop a lot of, you know, the, the, the traffic that's ultimately dropped by your firewall, but it's just not going to be on the wire anymore. And, and I think that's a big benefit. Wow, someone's getting excited. <laughs> I, see Max, I could I could see Max a new business like, being formed. I feel like yeah. his brain is like it, like spinning. Sassy Everything is going as now. a service. Sassy That's as right. A Sassy is a service. Well, hey, we all <laughs> need more bandwidth for all the streaming we're doing. We got we got, we got Netflix and TV to watch. Totally. <laughs> um, I wanted to share some uh, real examples as well of how this tech can be used 
in everyday life. I mean, g- given the fact that it's limited to residential, um, in residential, I remember that during the pandemic, you were living in an urban city in Utah. And like you said, you recently moved to a ranch in rural Colorado, if you didn't catch that, Erica. I did. What is behind that move and how can this security be used in that example? Yeah. So uh, obviously the the pandemic, I think everybody experienced this, right? We were, we were locked in our houses. Um, I grew up on a ranch. So for me to be locked in my house and not be able to go to the gym, very limited access to the, to the markets. Uh, I, I said, you know what? I, I want to get back to my roots. I want to go back to the ranch. At least then if I'm locked in, I'm locked in on, you know, 40, 80, 120 acres, not, <laughs> you know, Absolutely a 3000 square so foot house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's not really locked in, but with that, right. So um, for, for me, technology follows me. I'm a technologist, right? And so I'm going to use technology no matter, no matter what I do. So first off is where I live, there is absolutely no wired broadband anywhere, shape or form. I am talking to you through uh, multiple um, connections of, of, of line of sight microwave. I have two different providers. I have two LTE providers and I have Starlink satellite. And all of wow. that is being bundled together by SD-WAN and SASE. And of course, it, it, this is my field. So it, it's a, it's available to me and, and uh, I'm able to install it, but you know, it will come to the consumers as we just talked about eventually. But with that, now, what can I do with technology on the ranch? I have heads of cattle and I don't know, you know, how much you guys know about cattle ranching, but taking care of animals is very difficult. You don't know when they're sick and they can't tell you when they're sick. You don't know when they're going in labor. They don't tell you that you, you get an indication. Um, and the biggest indication is it will be the coldest night of the week. <laughs> That's when it's going to happen. And you got to go out there and help them. But with technology, right, we, we now know that there's ear tags that are based on IOT, cellular connectivity. Activity, um, to where we can now monitor that. I can get alerted. I can track where my assets are. And for me, I don't want to do that if I don't have the security behind it because I'm too vulnerable um, without that, the, the sassy, the security. And so for me, um, technology is going to be an everyday life. It doesn't matter if you're on a ranch, doesn't matter if you're in the city. And, uh, you know, now with connectivity now, like with, with Starlink, it, it really is everywhere on the globe. Um, so I, I, security is not just in the metropolitan areas. It's not just for businesses. It's it's going to be applied to everyday life for all of us. Wow. I mean, a ranch is, it sounds amazing. Can you tell me, I know you said cattle, but I just am fascinated with this whole idea. I am an animal lover and I have always told Max that my dream would be to be on living on a farm, but I realize now that it's a ranch. It's not a farm because isn't it that all ranches are farms, but not all farms are ranches, something like that. Correct. Yeah. Really farming uh, is, uh, you know, is, is meant to produce uh, for, for consumption, right. For us as, as humans, we're ranches. We also grow, you know, alfalfa and, and, and different crops, but it's the ranch growth is really to support the local animals that are on it so that then we can, we can turn that into to beefing. So that's really the big difference, at least in my mind, between uh, farming and, and ranching. So both, both are going to grow, uh, but really the ranch is focused on more of the uh, animal aspect. Oh, wow. So- I, I didn't, I, I didn't actually know that. So that's fascinating. I didn't know the difference. Between- it, it's a full ecosystem. Um, you know, I, I know that I haven't shared this with you. You know, I, a part of it is I, I raise bees and the bees oh. help my orchard. My orchards help my chickens, you know, my, my chicken eggs help my chickens with the protein. It really is a full, full wow. ecosystem. So, yeah. 
This sounds amazing. So I have a question for you. How do you feel about camels? I just read an article <laughs> about a cowboy in Idaho that has a ranch and apparently camels make for great additions. They're low maintenance, gentle. They produce like lots of nutritious milk and it's lactose free. Can that be, <laughs> they could be raised for meat and hides, but could, would you ever consider having camels on your ranch? So working for a New York based company, I'm going to say no, because I think I would just be made fun of too much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, they're go- this is going to be big. They're, they're really, they adjust to the weather. Have you ever rode a camel? You know what? I, I have a photo of me as a kid with my mother on a camel. Uh, but no, outside of that, I am very unfamiliar <laughs> with camels. <laughs> That's so funny. We actually did get to ride one this summer, me and the kids. We were on the Gaza Strip, which is a totally different story. <laughs> but Max, you did not ride the camel. That's because I've already been on a camel. Huh? Oh, of course. Of course, Max has already rode a camel. <laughs> I wanted to make sure you and the kids got the real experience during the trip. Well, the one good thing I can think of is I, I mean, I'm going to make an assumption they, 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 they're raised in the deserts. And so, you know, as we go through droughts, which Colorado, where I'm at has been, we were in about a five-year period of a drought. Maybe I should look into it because maybe they're going to be more drought resistant than a lot of the other animals. Yes. I was, I'm telling you this, it was fascinating. And actually I also learned another thing that they do not store their water in their homes. I, I think this is like a tale that we all were told when we were little. And I really, that's what I always thought. No, it's in yeah, the blood. Oh. It's in wow. their blood. It actually expands to hold more water. So That's the humps are just fat and they do with stain, like, cause the desert could get freezing in the nighttime. So they are able to adjust to the weather. So interesting. I just, it was very interesting. Yeah. I had, I had to ask you because I was just love the mix of all the animals. No, I, yeah, I've, I've, I've not really looked into it. Never even heard of it. I'm going to go research it now though. I'm intrigued. Okay. So I, I have to ask, um, how do you maintain a ranch and a full-time job, <laughs> especially one yeah. where you travel a lot, just like me? Yeah. So I, have, I do travel a lot, but I, I, I depend heavily on my, my kids. Uh, my, my oldest is 19. My youngest is 16. I'm blessed that my oldest is actually uh, going to vet school and she's a vet tech for the largest County veterinarian where we live. And so for me, she kind of takes the health care of the animals. And then my youngest, um, she does a lot of the feeding. And so she gets up early and for her, she's at that learning how to drive age. So she gets, she has no problem waking up early in the morning, jumping on the side by side, running out and dropping hay, dropping feed because it's just fun. So both of my kids love living on the ranch. And a side effect of that is their grades were actually not that good when we were in Utah living in the, in the city. And for some reason, giving them more responsibility, making them dependent on themselves. I'm seeing more common sense. I'm seeing smarter decisions being made by them. And they're just doing much better in school. Both of them are AB students now. Wow. That's pretty amazing. I have to say, I think I previously asked you jokingly if you were taking interns when I was hearing about this, but (laughs) my kids would definitely benefit from a few weeks of working on a ranch. What do you think, Max? Oh, without a doubt. But I have to now ask, is there a minimum age here? Because I think I could too. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. We're going to, we're going to welcome any help we can get, especially when it comes to uh, the the calving season, because that's where it becomes very uh, arduous and uh, it is a lot of work. And, and you know, yeah. um, I think when we spoke last, right, 
Um, you know, I, I told you a couple of different challenges and stories, but what didn't happen uh, because it just happened this past week or, or last week is we got to negative 27 below. And wow. I know the entire country took a hit and got very cold, but this was the first time that I ever experienced that that depth of cold. And I had to make accommodations for those animals, right? I had right. to make sure that the cows had shelter. I had to make sure horses had blankets put in barns, chickens locked up, heaters, lamps. It, it was a, it was a, it was, it was something that I knew at some point yeah. I'd have to do, but it, it was a little bit more shocking and surprising than I thought. That is cold. It was a lot of work and uh, it was scary, but uh, you know, we got through it. We learned some lessons, but uh, it's a big responsibility. Yeah. So how do you think your day job in network security had prepared you for this kind of rural lifestyle as a rancher? So in the world of, of digital security, everything is a surprise. Um, the new, the strategies are new. Uh, and when I say strategies, not, not our strategies, the bad guys strategies, they come up with something new every day. So for me, it's very similar. I, I feel somewhat prepared because I've been so conditioned to think on my feet and adjust and pivot and be nimble for what's thrown at me. And, you know, being a, a rookie rancher, a lot's being thrown at me. So I, I think my professional world and working, you know, off of the, off of wall street, and it, it's prepared me because I, I, mentally and prepared to deal with almost anything. Hmm. That's awesome. So we know you're a huge Yellowstone fan. <laughs> and as we are becoming quickly ourselves, I would say I'm obsessed. I would say you're obsessed as well. <laughs> I can't leave a room and come back with the TV on and then it not be on Yellowstone. <laughs> it's, it's, it's probably one of my favorite shows of all time. I can picture Zach now working at the ranch, except you're on your laptop solving tech security issues <laughs> before going out for some horseback riding. But I got to ask, what cast member would you say you resemble the most? <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, that it's it's uh, that's a loaded question because it uh, you know uh, for me I I get this all the time, especially when I throw on the cowboy hat and the, and the look. So I recently this last year grew out grew out my beard, um, and so a lot of people tell me that I I look like Rip when I'm wearing my hat and uh, and my jacket and sunglasses. I could totally see that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. that's awesome. <laughs> On a different note, as a cybersecurity expert and a father yourself, maybe you two have kids like ours that are online gaming or running around with a VR headset on, which is the newest thing going on in our house. <laughs> what would you say is the most valuable lesson on cyber safety that we could teach our teens and younger children that are immersed on gaming systems and cellular devices? For me, it comes down to the, the same term of zero trust, trust mm -hmm. nobody. Um, I, I think, you know, in a lot of these platforms, the same um, type of, of shenanigans that we see being played on corporations, we're seeing played on our, on our children's, and, and, you know, in, in, these, in these games and these platforms. Anytime you have an opportunity to um, exchange communications in a hidden manner. And what I mean by that is you can stay anonymous. I think it really gives room for, for malicious activity to, to occur and people to try to uh, not portray who they really are and whether it's get information or lead kids into uh, dangerous areas. I think that's the biggest lesson. I think we have to teach our kids that what you see, what you hear, what you do on social media or on, on digital networks might not always be what it, what it appears. Yeah. It's scary. It is really scary. And there's 
you know, you hear stories all the time and I want them to be able to access everything that they want to do and play these games. But there is all this like social engineering attacks and it's scary to, that we have to worry about these things. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah, that's good advice. I'm going to tell my kids, trust no one. Zero trust. trust. Zero trust. trust. No one. <laughs> trust. All right. Well, that brings us to game time. So for this episode, we'd like to play a game that we call drinks, deal, or defer. I'm going to give you three names and you say who you would like to have drinks with, who you would like to make a deal with, and who you would just defer to a later time. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay. Number one, billionaire John Malone. He is the title of the largest private landowner in the United States. 2.2 million acres, chairman and largest stakeholder of Liberty Media, nicknamed the Cable Cowboy. He sounds like John Dutton to me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He does sound like John Dutton. (laughs) Number two, current Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas. Regardless of what's out of the political aisle, a hot topic right now is Title 42. And what will happen at our borders once it's lifted? Mayorkas' stand on this has created strong arguments on both sides. Number three, Taylor Sheridan, American actor and co-creator of the hit series Yellowstone. Yes. He's also the director, writer, producer, and one of the stars. Do you know who he plays, Mac? Um, I think it's... I'm sure Zach knows. Travis uh, Wheatley. Oh, yeah. On the show. <laughs> Good guy. <laughs> He brought the. And he is a he's a talented cowboy. The way he rides on the show is how he rides in real life. He is well trained, by the way. Wow, that's awesome. I guess he. I think he also grew up on a ranch, right? I think so. And if not, he he owns a very large ranch. Uh, the four sixes that yeah. you see on Yellowstone. He owns that ranch now in Texas. Yeah. All right. So now here we go. Who would it be? Drinks deal defer. John Malone, Alejandro Mayorkas, or Taylor Sheridan. All right. This one is too easy. So (laughs) I'm absolutely going to sit down and have a drink with Tyler Sheridan. There is just way too much that I want to ask and discuss. And just, he's an interesting person. Um, And with that, I'm just, just a very quick story. Went to the NFR uh, at the end of of December, the national finals rodeo in Las Vegas. And um, the announcer said, we have some special guests. And um, he he introduced uh, Tyler Sheridan and it was um, Harrison Ford. And everybody kind of in the entire stadium kind of turned and was, was looking at me and they were clapping and I was a little bit lost until I realized Tyler Sheraton was only two rows behind me. Uh, and so uh, I got to see him in person. Yeah, I didn't get to talk to him and have a drink, but drink with Tyler Sheridan, no doubt. I would do a deal with John Malone. And that's really because, listen, he's the, he's the cable cowboy. We're in the same right. industry. He likes land, right? We, well, let's make I a deal. It. Okay. <laughs> Which means I'm going to defer, <laughs> yes. uh, you know, my Orcus, and then we'll talk about the border issues and stuff <laughs> a later date. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I love it. Great choices. Thank you so much for joining us today and giving us a better understanding of all these new cybersecurity tools. Absolutely. Thanks for uh, for having me. And I look forward to uh, seeing Max in uh, in his cowboy boots, cowboy hat and growing a beard here in the future, trying to look oh, like Rip. Definitely. <laughs> Hopefully we could visit you on the ranch one day. I'd love that. Thank you guys. Appreciate you having me. Thank Thanks, you. Zach. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening today. Please continue to listen and subscribe. You could always find us on Spotify, Amazon, Google, 
Apple Podcast, or wherever you find your podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Techie and the Blonde or ask us any questions or suggest topics we should discuss at techieandtheblonde at gmail.com. And our new and exciting website has launched, techieandtheblonde.com. You can find tons of content, pictures, everything discussed on the episodes. Thanks again.